probably been playing this game as a Canadian for your entire life, but not knowing what it's actually called or even knowing how to play. And I've got the answers for you coming right up. You're watching the City DNA podcast. This is the podcast where we interview interesting people in our community and sometimes talk about their businesses. This week, I've got a personal friend of mine. He is a disc golfer friend of mine. He is way better than me, by the way. Jeremy Tracy from Tracy Boards. What's going on? Not much, man. Thank you very much for having me. I will, uh, I'm going to argue with you right out of the hop that it depends on the day which one of us is better at, ah, uh, at the second greatest disc sport in the world. That is true. And what's the number one? The number one would be Crokinole, but I may be just a titch biased. You never know. So I'm going to ask you a question. Is it possible to change the name of Crokinole to something easier to say? Uh, you know what? One of my uh, one of my goals is that I want Tracy boards to be like the Kleenex, like like Kleenex is to tissue. That uh, people don't people stop talking about playing Crokinole and they start talking about playing Tracy boards. Tracy um, boards. There you go. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, don't, I like the name for our boards. I don't know that it's going to catch on as the name of the game, but uh, yeah, I've had people come up and say, "Why did you give it such a weird name?" Because they think I invented it. I was born that way. (laughs) If you didn't catch that, his last name's Tracy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The, uh, no, no, they, they talk about Crokinole. Why did I give Crokinole such a weird name? And it's it's been around literally more than a hundred years longer than I have. So I was not involved in the naming process. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the history? Because I'm sure most people don't know about it. I heard that it's actually Canadian. Yes, it is. Yes, it was. And I mean, there are some people that would argue if there's a historian listening in, I'm not sure that this has been fully fact-checked, but the most accurate that I've ever heard, most consistent I've heard, is that it was invented in 1876, just outside of Tavistock in uh, Sebastopol. That is why every the first Saturday of June every year we host the World Crokinole Championships in Tavistock. There's nothing else there. They have a Tim Hortons. They think they might have two sets of lights. And they have the arena where we host the World Championships. That's why it is there because that's where it was born. So in 1876, a wagon wheel builder by the name of Eckhart Wetlaufer built the first known Crokinole board for his son Adam's fifth birthday. Now that exact crokinole board used to hang on the wall at a museum in Kitchener called Schneiderhaus. The the city of Kitchener still owns it is my understanding. I'm just not sure it's still in that location. But yeah, the the roots are right here just down the road, which is is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And Tavistock holding the world mm-hmm. did I hear it right? The World Series of Crokinole? The World Crokinole Championships is what it's called. So it is the nice. biggest family-friendly crokinole tournament in the world. The It is pretty surreal. You walk in and the entire arena floor is one end to the other has crokinole boards and all of them in action. And the, the junior divisions are actually over in a separate room because we don't have room for them on the, on the floor, on the arena floor. So it overflows an arena floor because of the, the demand and we are very blessed and grateful to be the official board builders of the world crokinole championships that is amazing so, so why don't you tell me a little bit about that but i'm sure that somebody watching this out of the three people that watch it there will be somebody that gonna, doesn't even know what crokinole is your what? viewership is going to go up because i'm going to pump this out there well now that you're, you're on it it's more. going up big time you're yeah. not uh, you're not getting the love you deserve so we're gonna, you make we're the official crokinole board of the world series of crokinole so naturally my readership or watchership whatever you call it is going to go way up <laughs> we should have discussed i should have negotiated better in the contract for this appearance i think but, yeah oh i thought yeah. i negotiated a contract with you oh whatever <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um so yeah the, the way the best way i've heard to explain it and what i use for somebody who's never heard of it before is it is curling and shuffleboard in a tabletop version so i will actually turn my camera yeah good that right there and i yeah so that is just where we store it that is not where you play crokinole you don't throw darts it'd be pretty hard to play it on the wall like that eh? 
Yeah, it would be until we figured how to defy gravity. But that that board gets laid flat on a on a table. You sit directly across from your opponent. The way we play singles is if you and I would sit across from each other, I'd have eight black buttons, you'd have eight red buttons. We take turns flicking our disc. Most people are index finger. I'm a second finger shooter. Um, take turns flicking the disc, and you're trying to knock your opponent off and knock yourself into higher point regions. That's that's the gist of it. I say officially the rule is to or the goal is to try to get more points than your opponent. The unofficial rule and my rule, my objective when I'm playing Cropanol is that I want to make amazing, you know, circus 20s, just incredible fun shots, challenging shots, ones that, uh, yeah, physics get involved. And I also, I'm sitting across from you. I want you to swear. I want to leave buttons in places that, yeah, are very difficult for you to hit because, yeah, one of the one of the valid shot rules, if when it's your turn, if I have a button in play anywhere, you have to make contact with it. So if I'm able to make a shot and leave my button behind a post on my side of the board, you're going to be like, come on, man, what am I, what am I supposed to do now? And I'm like, figure it out. But uh, yeah, yeah that, that's the, you know, my brother yeah. and I used Why? to do Why? when we played Crokinole, speaking of what you were just saying, yeah. you know, putting all the rules out of play, although we, I'm not sure we actually knew what the rules were, would be to hit the buttons as hard as possible and make your opponents flick off the table and hit them. Uh, so eye protection would have been a good thing for you and your brother. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that uh, also hurts your fingers, though, if you do it too hard. So, you know. It, it's fun because one of the things that we get when people grew up playing and they've got this old plywood board that's very difficult to play on, and then they sit down on one of ours, and their first shot, they hit the oh. railing on the far side of the board because yep. they are used to having to shoot really hard. And on ours, it's more of a finesse because, yeah, the, yeah, we don't, we, we shoot for function over style. Like, yes, we want an attractive board, but for us, the most important thing is that, is the playability of the board. We want the, like I say, we're the official board builders of the World Coconut Championships. And when we go to, there's a, the NCA, the National Coconut Association has a series of tournaments that pretty much all the boards in action are Tracy boards. And definitely at the end of the day, when it comes time for the semifinals and the finals, the players involved in those matches are the ones that choose which board they want to use for that final. And it's going to be a Tracy board that, uh, yeah. They're good. We yeah. started giving them out to our clients and I did exactly what you said. My first flick when I, when we played a really short game went all the way across. And you know, what else surprised me is you provide, um, like a wax or something with the board as yeah. well. Yeah, it's a, like, this a couple is board top notch stuff, man. This is like professional. Yeah, yeah, that's what we use. Basically, everything we do and we sell, it is not that you have to play by NCA rules, but we we're, we're fairly we stay in very much in alignment with competitive play. Um, when I grew up playing Crokinole, if you and I sat down and played each other, we would play with twelve buttons each. It's not wrong. But it's not what yeah, you're going exactly. to find when you go to Tavistock or yeah, people play by all kinds of it. I'm a huge fan of host rules. Like we try to keep everything we do in alignment with competitive crokinole standards. And I want it to be fun. Like if you're shooting with a with a five year old and you want to give them mulligans, I'm a hundred percent on side with that. They can't come do that at the world championships though. You know, and it like What about disc golf yeah. though? You, you don't allow me mulligans. But I mean I don't, I don't know what to do with that, man. I, sh I sh really should have something smart to say to that. But, uh, yeah, I, I like kids more than you. I don't know. That's the best I got on short notice. Well, you're saying there's a difference between disc golf and crokinole. There is a difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. There. I mean, there's a lot of the – if anybody has played both, I would say the most crossover is one of one skill that is very important when playing competitive crokinole is hitting open 20s, which means there's no opponent on the board. You've got a free shot at the center hole. Your ability to hit those is has a huge impact in how you're going to do in that match. Uh, that yeah, the absolutely. the mindset stuff that I apply to that is very similar to my putting. That putting, is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Even though putting you can't hit a putt in disc golf, just, you're done. Yeah, basically, yeah. Clear the mind and and have a process you go through that's crystal clear, that's consistent and repeatable to uh, to hit that. But anyway. That's that's a bit of a tangent, but so would would there be professional crokinole players? Would you? 
people when when people ask me are you a pro or like are you a professional uh crokinole player and i go i'm about as professional as it gets i feel that i feel a little pretentious saying that i'm a professional crokinole player but the the yeah. national crokinole association that i mentioned we have our series of tournaments throughout the year and they track stats based on how you finish in the events i am ranked sixth in the national crokinole association so i do well and the guys that are ranked from first to fifth, there's levels. <laughs> they're 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 tough to beat. They're, yeah, there's yeah, there's just levels of this game. So do these guys get on their crokinole bar board and practice their making their twenties the same way we'd go in our backyard and practice, you know, our putting for disc golf. Is it? I think it depends on the player. Uh, if I'm being honest, I used to practice a lot more than I do now just uh, yeah i don't i don't know you ever tried running your own business andrew <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> you get, yeah yeah you get a little a little distracted and busy um but yeah there there certainly are players that are sitting down every night shooting 120 i don't know if they're doing it every night but there are some players that do that can't go to bed until i get 100 that's right that's right and as much as that is an important skill set, it isn't, it isn't the be all and end all. There has to be more depth to your game than that because you're going to miss eventually. So, and there's yeah. strategy around it too, right? Once you do miss, where do you yes. go next? You know, how do you, you know, if you, you have to, I think you have to knock the other player off the board, right? So positioning yourself after you hit him is important. Similar to, I guess, uh, like playing pool where you position your cue ball afterwards tells you what your next shot's going to be right yes. so it'll be some strategy that yeah. way i don't know billiards and pool well enough to say i i can't compare the strategies i just know as simple as the rules of crokinole are if you had never played before we could sit down and inside of two minutes i i could get you playing crokinole you wouldn't know every rule inside note but you'd know enough to get started like when we go to conventions and we're teaching literally hundreds of people a day how to play this game they've never seen before. Um, I can do it in two minutes and I move on and then I come back later and kind of make, and make some clear, points of clarification. And there's things like uh, the rule that gets the most attention online is we call it the one cheek rule. Uh, I believe the official wording of the NCA rules is one portion of your posterior must remain in contact with the chair. Now there's some people read that and they take that to mean that it would be illegal for me to do this because I moved out of my chair. That's not true. I'm still sitting in my chair. And then because it got nicknamed the one cheek rule that you keep one cheek in contact with the chair, there's people that take that a little too literally. I had someone once take a picture of me in a competitive match and I'm over and basically the, the top, the back of my thigh behind my knee was what was on the chair. Yeah. My cheek wasn't touching the chair. So somebody takes it, but I mean, it's very accepted and understood at the, amongst the pros, the pros, like they all do it when you need to get off to the side, but you're not allowed to bump your chair over. You're not allowed to stand up and shoot like there's things, but oh, really? you stay in contact with the chair, but who's, where does your cheek end? Can you draw a line that shows me exactly where, and my next question, do you want to come judge it? Do you want to sit at the world championships? <laughs> Sorry, I got to put this on pause for one second. I got it. The city's calling. <laughs> Hello, Andrew speaking. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. You ready for an inspection? Yeah, the plumber's there right now. Just go to the side side entrance on the right side of the house. Awesome. Thanks. Appreciate it, Chris. All right. Bye-bye. One more sec. I told the I told the plumber that this would this would happen that the city would call right in the middle of my podcast because they have all day to call right, but they're gonna call right in the middle of ours. I'm gonna if you text. want the phone ring? Just go to the bathroom. I'm glad this is recording because this is the day in life of reality. Yeah, I absolutely. could edit this out, but it actually could be could be interesting to somebody. It's gotta text our plumber. Hilarious. <laughs> I don't. It's so funny. Maybe I maybe I caused that to happen by saying that this morning that they're going to come during the podcast and interrupt. Do you think that's possible? What's uh there's an expression that I like uh, worry is a prayer for what you don't want. Right. So I should have said something different like yeah no worries the the inspector's going to call right the second after we're done our podcast. 
the, the there's another expression that no one likes to be shit upon and you just shit upon yourself. <laughs> you know what? Well, let's keep going. What else do you got? I'm learning a whole bunch of stuff about life. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know how deep you want to get, but uh, yeah. Screw that, the crocodile. Let's, let's talk about life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many lessons in there. There's so many lessons in life, uh, in Crokinole for life. Um, yeah, and you interrupted a, a, a very random tangent that I went off on about the, the one-cheek rule, but uh, the point yeah, is... Well, that I do want to get back to the one-cheek rule. I thought, yes. it was, I thought originally you said one-cheat. I'm like, that's kind of weird. But then I thought, okay, the way that you can cheat around the, the, the one-cheek rule is mm. can't you just tape the chair to your butt and stand up? No, because you're not allowed to move your chair. Ah, that's so your chair has to literally be stationary in one spot. Yeah, and that, I mean, um, our middle son Garrett looks after all our social media. So he recently just posted a match from the Ontario Doubles Championships where my other two sons were playing against good friends of mine from the US. And somebody made the comment that my buddy Jason had moved his chair. That guy cheated, he moved his chair. When you've got the when you've got chairs on like a gymnasium floor, there's yeah. sometimes even just by shifting in your chair, that chair moves a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I know Jason very well. The man is not a cheater. He's the furthest thing from it. And I know like my chair moves around some, but I mean, basically, I'm not allowed to to do this to come over to make my shot. Right. So basically, it's a it's a rule of intention. Like your intention is to leave your chair. If read in the rules, you're not allowed to move your chair unless you need to get up and pick a button off the floor so really? somebody could knock a button on the floor and then in in the process of picking it up adjust their chair, adjust their chair. and it, i don't know there's a, that's getting picky the, with the rules though right yeah yes so there are one of the go ahead i'm gonna say that brings me to the question so when you're playing a one-on-one -on -one match you yep. do you have half the board or a quarter of the board quarter Okay, so it's always a quarter no matter how you play. Yes. All right, so my nephew so was right. You, your, and uh, another point of confusion is that your button before you shoot it has to be touching the shooting line of your quadrant. Yes, this is the, the outermost line is the shooting line. It has to be touching that line somewhere in your quadrant. So if this was my quadrant, my button could be all the way over here. So it's technically... Yep. More than half of it is outside of my quadrant. But as long as it's touching the shooting line and my quadrant line, I'm okay. Right. Okay. They used to, it was, I don't know how many years ago it used to be, the button couldn't be more than 50% over the line. Right. That they, they've adjusted the rules to try to take some of the grayness out of it. So there's, a, there's another rule that people don't like. We call it the damage rule. If a button comes out, hits the rail, it's dead. That disc is dead. But let's say it comes back in and it moves buttons around. We don't try to put them back. Right. Whatever damage is caused, it stays. Even if my button, I make a shot, my button comes off, bumps yours, and puts yours in the middle for 20 points, that 20 still counts. Because you and I could sit there and argue, no, no, it was there. And then you'd say, no, no, it was an inch to the left. And we'd have a ridiculous argument, but we can't really argue about where it ended up. So that, that's kind of the reasoning for the rules. So I, I had somebody ask me once like about how seriously people take it or if they're cheating or this or that. And I'm like, the biggest tournament in the world is the world's. First place in competitive singles is a thousand bucks. I don't know about you. I'm not prepared to cheat and lie or do anything bucks. immoral for a thousand bucks. But and what about 10,000? Would you do it for 10? I still wouldn't. What about a but million? I believe that it, now we're getting deep in a moral dilemma. I still don't think I would, but I believe there are people that would because, yeah, just that I would love to see Crokinole, but I joke that I want to see it in the Olympics, but I hope that it grows in a way that it always hangs on to its wholesome roots right. in that. I've got a video on my YouTube channel called the Hutch Daddy Principle. A good friend of mine, Andrew Hutchinson, my oldest son, Reed, one day, no idea why, he called him Hutch Daddy and it stuck. It's a term of endearment. It just fits. I was playing, Andrew's now my doubles partner, but I was playing against him in the Ontario Doubles Championships a bunch of years ago. Andrew bumped the table, which is illegal. There's a rule in there you're not allowed to bump the table. 
He didn't do it on purpose. It happens. When he bumped the table, our button was so close to the center hole that it fell in. So there's four players playing in a timed match because we've got a time limit to play this match. And we're all looking at each other going, what do we do now? And Andrew said, I bumped the table. That was my fault. Your 20 counts. And we said, are you sure? And he said, yep, that's what's right. That counts. He took it out, put it in the 20 cup, and we got back to playing. Did we make the right decision? I still don't know, but I call it the Hutch Daddy principle because a, a decision needed to be made. He stepped up and did a very, yeah, he took the he took the high ground and went, yeah, this is what makes sense to me. I made the mistake. It hurt us. Let's get back to playing. Did he win? So, I can't remember. That's not the point of the story. Oh. Come on, man. <laughs> I uh, I honestly don't remember. He might have. Um, you're suggesting it was fast acting, fast fast acting karma. Yeah, that maybe he did something good, and the and the crocodile gods looked after him. Yeah, well, well, we won't know because it wasn't televised back then. Probably. It's probably it probably recorded. It might be up on YouTube. I'm not sure. By know. the way, I just popped onto your page before we started here, and two things. I watched a video, which I'll talk about in a second, but I noticed that there are tournaments that are being recorded. That's pretty cool stuff. Yes. That's pretty COVID so, stuff to, to watch during COVID. I, I remember watching somebody made this marble track in the sand, and I watched that for hours. They put, you know, 10 yeah. marbles at the top, and... They're all different colors. And I'm like, go red, go red, go blue. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than marbles. I'll have to, I'll have to look that up, maybe. Do it. Know, we'll see. Um, yeah, yeah, I so should up link until... it to this podcast, although no one would find it. Oh, Three on, people. We're only 20-some minutes in. People are still listening for sure. For sure. Um, but it was uh, up until late last year, a friend of ours, Nathan Walsh, runs... Uh, run, has a YouTube channel called Crokinole Center. And he used to record the matches, at least the semifinals and finals from the tournaments. And he puts them up with scoreboard, with commentary. I used to do guest commentary when he did that. Anyway, the guy just volunteered it, the goodness of his heart, didn't even have his channel monetized. And he burned out. I mean, Nathan is a fantastic guy. He is, if you look at the volunteers, the ambassadors who've done the most to grow the sport of Crokinole over the last 10 years, there's Nathan Walsh, and then in second place, there's Nathan Walsh. And then I might be challenging for third at this point. But anyway, I mean, it's my business, so it's different. But as far as a guy who's just doing it out of the goodness of his heart, I mean, he is head, he towers above everyone as far as the passion he has poured into this. Anyway, he burned out and he was just like, he went from it being something he enjoyed to it was just kind of, I don't know that he resented it, but it was just, he just, he had had enough. Anyway, so he has stopped that. We have now, we picked up the torch with his blessing. We picked up the torch. Uh, and Garrett, who looks after our social media, now also looks after, I love doing the commentary, sitting down, doing a scoreboard, doing the editing. I'd rather slam my hand in the car door than, than, than do that stuff. So now, now you will find those competitive matches going forward will be on our channel. Although Nathan may still do some once in a while. Uh, that have... is a great way to go understand the higher level strategies that the I'm going to keep doing this every time I say pros uh, that the pros use. So totally the same way that I watch disc golf to learn how to be a better player, I would do the same for that. Just picking up different strategies, different techniques. Uh, yeah, totally would watch that for sure. You mentioned business and burnout, so you are a player and you are a manufacturer and yep. probably a couple different hats in the arena. <laughs> How do you balance growing your business and keeping the fun in it? Some days better than others. Um, a lot of help from my family is one thing. And even uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had the Elmira Winter Classic that we ran here in Elmira. Um, good friend of mine, previously mentioned Andrew Hutchinson, him and I worked together. We were co-organizers of that event. Amazing guy, uh, volunteered so much time and energy to help that. It was a, I think it was a hugely successful event. Um, as far as the, like, I was one of the organizers. We provided every single board that was used there. I organized a social the night before at our local brewery because we had people from seven different states. There was a guy who came up from Texas to play in the tournament, Ohio, Illinois, 
New York, Indiana, like the people came from all over. A couple of them stayed here at my place um, in the church the night before setting up all the boards, doing the tear down the next day, like all the work that goes with that. I don't mind it. Did it affect my play? Probably. Um, in the morning, there was one match in the morning that as soon as our round robin ended in the morning, I had announcements to make. So I was sitting across from John Conrad. The guy's won the Worlds like two or three times. Great player. There were a couple of shots that I blamed being distracted on why I missed them, but it didn't matter. It's I was still in the April in the afternoon. It was fine. Um, I don't mind it. And there is a part of me that misses the day that I could just walk up, play, and go home. Um, those days are done and that's fine. I accept that. That is one of the reasons with disc golf, I basically refuse to have anything to do with organizing. Like, I mean, I want to like, you know, the league we play in, there's times that I'll grab growlers for the two guys that run it and go, thank you. Because having been on the organizing side of it, I just have so much gratitude and appreciation for the people that put the time and energy in that I can just walk up. I could be hung over, not saying that I am. I'm just saying like, I don't need to be, I don't need to be anything. I'm just a dude being a fellow when I walk onto the disc golf course. And I am very attached to that. I was looking at a digital printer uh, as part of my business and somebody, and just talk, chatting with the salesman, it came up that disc golf was a hobby of mine. He goes, oh, you can print discs for people. And I went, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. Is it a good idea? Probably, but that is my safe space. Yeah, yeah, your safe space. <laughs> You know what I mean? And I mean, maybe that's dramatic, but um, yeah. There, and there, there is a part of me that wishes that there were, there were, there are tournaments that I go to that I am less involved in, but I mean, I, I, I'm part of the NCA board of directors. I sit on the committee for the world Propanol championships. There's two of the tournaments that are the NCA on the NCA tour that I run. I run one with Andrew. I run a, one in May with, uh, with Nathan Walsh. So yeah that it is something I try to be mindful of, but fortunately with Elaine will go to the events with me. She takes a huge load off my plate and um, the boys, I say the boys, I, I need a different expression. The men. They'll always, they'll always be my sons, but I mean, they're 25, 23, 21. They're not boys anymore. Um, they'll always the gentlemen, be boys. The offspring, the, the, uh, offspring. the next generation. Hey, yeah. offspring. They, uh, Get in the yeah. truck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I don't. How was that for an absolutely terrible answer to your question? That was great. Um, it, it's it's yeah. very real. And yeah. on top of that, you're trying to expand your business too. And so, you know, I've noticed. I think you. I mean, I've noticed because you're not always there as much for disc golf as you were. You know, you're always seem to be out somewhere in the world doing something for Crokinole. Tell tell me or if tell me what you can about that and what what are you up to. Uh, I mean, two different questions there. What have I been up to and what am I going to be up to? Uh, last year, 2023, we traveled more than ever before. And 2024, I'm probably going to travel about 50% more than I did last year. Uh, and, and I mean, you just mentioned the burnout thing. That is something that I need to be mindful of because I am getting more and more invitations to go to this event, go to that event, go to this event. And, um, here's, here's a great example coming right up tomorrow. Um, Almost a year ago, I got approached by a friend of mine that said, hey, there is a one-day convention in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, that is happening this weekend. This, But this is a year ago, he brought it up. And he's like, I'd really like you to go. And I looked at the map and I'm like, ah, six and a half hours away. I don't have anything else going on. Sure, why not? He's a friend of mine. Should be good. Not a huge event because some of the events we go to, like we went to PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia in December, 20,000 people there. Just absolutely amazing for business. Um, they're not all there for Crokinole. That's a That's a board gaming convention. There was a lot, half of those people probably didn't even see the boards because yeah, the place is massive. Anyway, I agreed to that event in South Bend and then an event that I went to last year called Level Up, which is a bigger event in so many ways. And a lot of good friends of mine go to that event. Uh, that is this weekend for three days. And I'm like, I can't back out. I gave my word, yeah. I'm going to South Bend. And then uh, I had a chat with them and, and with their blessing, Nolan, and my son is going to go in my place. So he's going to South Bend to run a one day event. I'm going to New Jersey to, to attend a three day event and uh, we'll each be running tournaments. I am pumped about that because yeah, 
there's going to be Tracy boards is going to be in two different locations at same the same time. time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is exciting. So we go to these, we go to these gaming conventions. The other thing that we do is about a year ago, Elaine and I, it's my wife, who's my business partner. Uh, we got involved with a business coaching program. Once a quarter, they have a two or three day seminar somewhere in the States. We travel to that. And while I'm there, whatever Crokinole clubs are in the neighborhood, I get a hold of them and say, Hey, can I come visit? Uh, and generally they are very excited to have the, the, the head guy from Tracy board show up and play Crokinole and hang out. And I mean, we get treated a little too good sometimes when we go to those, uh, like a lot of those in the U S the clubs that are popping up, a lot of them are hosted in pubs and breweries or whatever it is. It's tough for me to buy my own beer. Um, there's somebody usually right there going, no, no, let you, you stopped here. We're happy to let me buy you a beer. Let me pay for it. Like, I can buy my own beer, but yeah, it is, uh, it, it is pretty cool how much the excitement around the game and what we are doing is growing and yeah, it's, yeah. Becoming a celebrity. So well, you, you already are. So in Guelph anyways, the, <laughs> <and Elmira. laughs> we were, uh, we go to Boston as well for an event called PAX East. And this is the, I've had a few experiences like this. This is the one that strikes me the most funny. We were, we were waiting to get on the shuttle to go over to the convention, the Boston convention center. It was day one of the events. We come out of the hotel. We're standing there waiting in line. And this young guy in front of me turns around and he goes, holy, comes out with a mouthful. And he says, are you Jeremy Tracy? I'm like, I look like him. Anyway, and he's like, can we get a picture together? And there's my wife going, we're not even there yet. <laughs> uh, it is, I've had people... Uh, come up and ask me to, to autograph their buttons or the back of their board or their accessories. And it, it feels weird. And I'm like, we build a board. I am a pro at a flicky flicky game. And uh, it, it, it's, it, it is kind of cool, but it's, it feels a little, it feels, I even feel weird talking about it here on a podcast. Like if you and I talk about it, I wouldn't feel as weird, but here I am publicly saying like, People ask for my autograph. And I'm but like, it is it is different. And, and like I said, it's reality. This is what it is. Your your goal, I guess, in part for these events is to make more business. And the, yeah. re the way you get more business is to be seen and noticed. Yeah. Like attention yeah. um, brings money or money follows attention, I think, is the, the saying, right? And although yeah. some people are really uncomfortable with attention, um, it just happens to them. You know, if you're good at something or you're, in your case, the official sponsor for or board maker for an organization and you're good at what you do, too, you're going to have attention. So, you know, don't uh, sell yourself short with that. So I'm going to yeah, ask you I mean, to sign my button sure. on sure. Saturday morning. <laughs> you won't be here. <laughs> no, I won't be. I'll be in New Jersey. But uh, yeah, it, it is interesting because there's people that I, and this, this makes more, this makes more sense to me that there are people that I meet and I've got like 150 or 200 YouTube channel uh, videos on my channel. So they've spent, they've watched me a lot. So we meet and they feel like they know they me. They know you, yeah. And that makes sense because if, if I watch someone on YouTube enough, then I, I feel like I've gotten to know them. Because uh, I feel like whether I'm on video or talking to you or on a podcast, I'm I'm pretty consistent with who I don't. I am what I am. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't put up a front other than like I go out of my way to not swear in something like this and in my videos. Uh, if you and I are having a beer, you've probably heard me swear on the disc golf course. Don't tell anybody. But I mean, so I don't feel like that's being inauthentic though. I just feel like it's being respectful and making sure that the content I'm putting out there is family friendly. I don't want to, I don't want to put out videos that somebody is like, Oh, I'd love for my six year old to watch this video, but Tracy might drop six F bombs before he gets, no, I, I, yeah, yeah. I want it to be more family friendly. It's important to be who you are in anything you do. Right. And yeah, you know, I do I this, so. this podcast just to, just for something to do to get to know the community you know, ultimately people recognize my name at some point and they associate me with something, whatever they associate me with, hopefully real estate and buying and selling houses. 
Um, but it's what I said to myself is I'm just going to be me. What you get is what you get. Right. So when you work with me, you get the corny jokes. When you disc golf with me, you'll get a couple of dad jokes and sarcasm, which you're very sarcastic too. So it's fun to play with you because you're the only one that gets my sarcasm, <laughs> you know, but you got to be yourself. And that's those, when you talk about people coming to, you know, get you to sign their stuff. It's because, like you said, they know you because they've seen you and they and the real you is on the video, the same person that is showing up in front of them. Right. I think so. Um, and I mean, I haven't I haven't felt you have been any different on this podcast than you are when we're hanging out on the disc golf course. I mean, we're just yeah. Um, and there's been people the the first person that comes to mind, there is a, a, a fairly big influencer on Instagram who got hold of one of our boards. She posted a video about it. And I mean, it was just absolutely amazing video. Her name's Danny Standring. If you're into board games at all, highly recommend her. Uh, but then two or three months after that video came out, I met her at the event in Boston. Uh, Nolan and I sat down and played doubles with her and her husband, Todd. And we walked away and I turned to Nolan. I'm like, you know what's awesome? And he's, what's that? I'm like, she's the exact same person as she was on the video. And like, I've hung out with her. She's going to be at the event I'm going to this weekend. Uh, me and her and her husband and another friend of ours will probably go play disc golf in the snow together. They're just awesome people. But who she is on camera is exactly who she is when you're sitting there playing a board yeah. game with her Friday night at 10 o'clock having a beer. Um, yeah. Do you, I, I feel like the, the, the genuine authentic is missing a lot in the world. Oh, totally. So you see it, it's like, it just shines through. In the real so. estate world, you see it all the time. And I don't mean this offensively to anybody that's watching out there, but mm -hmm. particularly women, if you look at their business card from 1995, they look a lot different than they do now. And, you know, if they are into social media, a lot of people dress up, they do makeup, guys do whatever the guys do. And you meet them, you're like, who is this person, right? You know, there, there are people that are like, you know, from realtors, hey, Andrew, how's it going? It's been a while since we've, we've connected, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, I don't even, I don't know who you are. You know, and I have to go back and jog my memory. Like, they obviously know me, how, you know, and then I have to pick apart the conversation in my mind. Oh, yeah, that's such and such a person from such and such a company, right? So I think it's important, though, to be authentic in, in who you are. And warts and all, you know, like, uh, I stutter a lot, just like right now, you know, like sometimes the words come out, you know, smoothly, sometimes they're like a little, you know, whirlwind, what was he talking about? You know what I mean? But that's who you get. And I'm not going to pretend to be anything different. And I'm not going to not be on camera because mm -hmm. I might make a mistake in thinking, oh, someone's going to make fun of me. That, I mean, I yeah. thought that when I was six years old, <laughs> you know, I'm 48 years old now. I'm a little past that now, but some people never get past that. They won't do certain things because of, you know, what people might think. So I got a, I got a good business friend of mine and, and he's a travel agent, super guy knows his stuff. He is so knowledgeable and uh, I have tried to convince him to do lives and like he is like it's violently not violently but like nervous like his nerves about it are so strong like I, the thoughts of it just uh, just make him so uncomfortable i'm like i'm so grateful that i push through whatever that is um because yeah i mean what you're doing and a hat tip to you i mean i would every once in a while it goes through my mind i would like to do what you are doing right now with these podcasts because you get to, I hope you're enjoying the conversation with me, but I watched a bit of the the guy you had on last week or the week before the bid me guy. Yeah. And yeah, John. I mean, you're getting to talk to, you're getting to hang out and talk to what value is coming from it. I don't know. Like, I don't think your, your viewership, you'd make jokes about your viewership. It isn't huge. Um, but. You gotta start cares? somewhere, right? You're getting, you're getting to have a cool conversation. And I mean, you look at some of the big podcasts now and you go back and you listen to their original podcast, they weren't that great, 100%. but you, you need to, there was a, a course I took a bunch of years ago and it was about a product design and it was basically the guy was like, your first product is gonna suck. It's gonna be bad, but you'll never make the second one until you make That's right, one. that's right, totally. You know, and that, that's so true in any industry, no matter what you're with, people, including yeah. me, I've been there where, you know, I'll just use the example of talking to people 
you know, in real estate, you have to talk to people. Otherwise, you're not going to get any business. It's not like there's a, a people business that they just say, oh, Andrew, he sells houses. You have to make yourself known and you have to know what to say. And I, I remember this very clearly. It was maybe about five months into the business. Uh, at the time, I, ha I was doing real estate and I was working as an engineer for Loblaws. And okay. so there was an overlap and, and it was quite known that I was going to eventually be a real estate agent. So the company sat me down and basically, basically fired me in a polite way, said, you know what, we know you're going to be doing this. Um, we're going to replace you with uh, a new engineering student or whatever they replaced me with. But, you know, you have your severance because I was there for a long time, which was enough money to get me to about the five month mark. Um, um, and ironically, when the five month mark came and I had one sale, which was my own house I bought, right? I'm like, <laughs> I have to talk to people. I have to do something different. Now, I was working hard. I have to confess that I was doing four open houses on every weekend. I was, you know, doing stuff. But one thing in particular that I didn't do was call up back then we had for sale by owners more than we do now. Yeah. And I, and I saw five of them that ooh, I would could really use a listing right now. And I sat down and just did it. I didn't know what to say. I just started speaking. Right. And after those talking to those five people, I had three listings. And those three listings turned into within the, the next six months, I think I did over 20 transactions from the, wow. from making that one phone call. But I could have easily said, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what to do. They're going to laugh at me or whatever it is. Right. But it was the courage just to pick up the phone and call, but it was the key of not worrying about what you're going to say. I'm sure it was crap. <laughs> I don't, you know, I have no idea, but I also figured out that, just picking up the phone works. The uh, the same guy that I mentioned earlier that had, that had the product course, like the product creation course, uh, he has a quote that is uh, Darren Lacroix is his name. I always try to if I can remember where I heard a quote, I do like to reference it and not try to claim it as my own. But uh, he would say, uh, "Done is more profitable than perfect." Yeah. And I mean, there's so much truth to that, but. Uh, yeah. You also remind me that the first job I had outside of like, I grew up working on farms, doing construction and stuff like that. And the first job that I had outside of that type of work, the labor, just slam stuff around kind of work. Um, I went door to door selling satellite systems. There's a character building experience. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, I went from that to selling real estate. I sold real estate for three or three. Did and you really? Years. I didn't know that yeah. about you. Yeah. That was back in Nova Scotia. So that's okay. going back a lot of years. And I didn't know that you're in Nova Scotia either. That, that's where I went to high school. Okay. Yeah. Went to high school. Yeah. Where? Cole Harbor High. Okay. Yeah. I grew up in the Annapolis Valley. So oh, did I you? Okay. through my schooling was in uh, Central Kings in Cambridge, Nova Scotia. How old so, are you? My, are you the same age as me? way younger than you oh, yeah, like, that's what i thought two years <laughs> i'm 46 46 so i'm 48 so, so I, we would have been in nova scotia at the same time brother did you play hockey because no. i remember some burn burners with cole harbor i watched hockey though there yeah. i just wasn't good enough you got to learn yeah. how you have to know how to skate to play hockey i uh yeah i i was i was decent at hockey but uh yeah but no, uh, we, my wife and I both grew up there. And then when I was 19, we moved to Alberta, lived there for three years yeah. and then back to Nova Scotia for five okay. and then came to Ontario. So we've been here, I've uh, been on Ontario like 18 years or so. Yeah. It's been about, about the same for me. I came around 2001. Okay. And then, uh, Dita and I were together for about five years and then got married. We've been together now, uh, 17 years. Married Not 17 rising. years together, more than that, whatever 17 plus five is <laughs> 22 uh, years. Holy smokes. Yeah. We're coming up on our 25th wedding anniversary. Wow. So uh, that's, yeah. and that's insane. So you're high school, yeah. you're high school sweethearts then, aren't you? No, uh, I was just after I was in college. college. Um, I'm uh, not only am I younger than you, I'm also younger than my wife. Wow. Uh, yeah. She's like two and a half years older than me. So, um, 
yeah, it was my first year out of high school. So I was like 18 when we met. She was 21. And I said, oh, I mean, she just yeah, grabbed this young kid off the street and uh, tried to mold me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How'd she work? How did that work out? <laughs> well, you know, every once in a while, every once in a while, she'll look at me and go, Jeremy, I married a pig farmer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what so what are we doing now? What trip are we taking now? Where are we going? Oh, yeah. But, so you, uh, you no, I, I, go ahead. You went from pig farming to making boards. So I'm interested to know, like, how did you get into making boards? Was there some kind of experience with that before, or no? Um, I I I won't bore you or your viewership with all of the tangents that my working career took. But uh, I basically went back and forth between like sales type job yeah. and labor type jobs a number of times. And, uh, and uh, quite honestly, I, I, I had a couple of businesses that didn't go well. And I went back to labor type work because to lick my wounds basically and to, uh, <laughs> to resuscitate my bank account a little bit. Because after, after going through the ringer a couple of times, it, uh, it was just nice to know that there was a paycheck there every uh, every Friday. Anyway, um, I was working at a job. I didn't, I didn't mind the job, but I knew that I wanted something more, nothing against somebody like if somebody wants to, they're happy with their job and that's, you know, they're finding their fulfillment elsewhere. Good for them. For me, I'm like, there's an entrepreneur in me that wants something better. And I actually went and quit my job. And, uh, it was so funny. I don't know. I don't know how esoteric you are, but, uh, you know, you'll, you'll find what you go looking for. Once you get clear on what you're looking for, it'll, you'll find it or it'll find you. Yeah, sure. So I basically was like, okay, I want something more. I need an opportunity. I'm looking for an opportunity. I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to find it while I'm working 60 hours a week doing a job that I don't love. That's kind of sucking the life out of me. Um, anyway, so. I quit that and I'm like, I want to find a part-time job to free up headspace, to free up uh, time and energy. And it needs to be something that I don't need to be trained to do because I'm not going to stay. This is a stepping stone. That's it. And uh, I ran into a buddy of mine who I'd worked with previously and he worked for a furniture company and he goes, Jer, ah, we're looking for a delivery guy, but we only want him part-time. And I went, perfect. <laughs> So I quit my job and I took like a multiple dollar an hour pay cut plus cut my hours in half. I went from 60 hours a week to 25 or 30. And fortunately my wife was, uh, there's only been a couple times I've gone to her with ideas or ventures and she's gone, Oh, please don't. That's just a dumb idea. <laughs> Normally she's on side. So anyway, I, uh, I went to work at this job and was quite, I'm like, nobody needs to teach me to pick up a sofa and put it down. I can handle that and cleared my head, just got me in a better space. And then it was like two or three months later, somebody came to me and they said, I heard Willard's looking to retire. Well, Willard is an older gentleman who lives in Elmira and he's been, he had been building boards for 30 years. His dad had been building them for 20 years before that. And this friend of mine came to me and he said, he's looking for someone to take over. He wants to, he wants to retire. He's looking for someone to take over. So I went, I had one of his boards because I was playing competitively at that point, but I'd never met him. He lived around the corner, but I'd never met him. Elaine and I went over to meet with him. And it was my understanding that other people had approached him. Other people had met with him and it just wasn't the right fit. Right. And for whatever reason, he took a shine to us and said, you know what, you're the guy. And so I'm working part-time at slinging furniture around and I'm working part-time with him in his shop. Like he took me right in his shop, right under his wing and uh, introduced me to all his suppliers and over the next few months um he shut down and we started off and uh, it's funny because he was here yesterday he needed to borrow something so he was over here yesterday but he shows up down at the shop which at this point my sons run the shop plus two other guys i'm not down there very much but reed will go willard was in this morning and I mean, willard's late 70s now and he'll come in and he'll uh, he'll look around and we're doing more than five times what he was doing wow. and he looks around and he goes he was like, I never wanted it to be this big for me. Yeah. Like the business was for him. It's not like he did. It's not like he comes in and goes, Oh no, no, I didn't want, the, I didn't want you to do this with the business. Like he's very happy for us. He's very excited for us, but he never wanted it to be that big when he was running it. Cause he didn't want to take on, I've taken on a lot to build it from where it was to where it is yeah. now. And 
there are some days, there are some days I wish I just had a job. <laughs> I mean, there, was, uh, there were some nights I would sleep better if uh, I didn't have the challenges that I have with growing the business. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's, yeah, just uh, fell into the opportunity, uh, created space in my life for the opportunity, whatever you want to say. Yeah. But uh, well, it seems like uh, a yeah. perfect fit for, you know, your, your hobby your personality and it seems like you have that entrepreneurial spirit and I've noticed that you know you've been on these places to do you know marketing you've I think you've did some I think I remember you saying that you went somewhere to do a day or two maybe of social media content creation is that am I accurate or did I just hear that yeah the uh, I've done that a couple times but in December I made yet another trip I, I hopped on a plane went down to Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, I've got friends there that have YouTube channels about gaming. And actually the, the reason for that trip is because what, what started that trip was I had a lot of people when I was in Vegas, we were in Vegas in September for the World Series of Board Gaming. I was there running tournaments for four days. But different trips like that, people would come up and they'd ask me what you just asked me, like, how did this start for you? And I go, oh, you know, kind of try to do the Coles Notes version of, of how things got started with Willard because that's a there's a lot to that story. But anyway, um, I share a bit of that. And I had a number of people say to me, like, you've got to share that story. Hmm. You've got to, you've got to get that out there. Like you should be, you know, people want to know that stuff. And, and Elaine, Elaine has been saying that to me for a while too. She's like, I think it's time for you to tell your story. I think it's time for you to tell your story. And I'm like, I feel a little, I mean, this is my recording studio. I feel a little pretentious sitting in a room by myself, turning on the camera and going, so then, the, you know, and telling my own story. So one of these guys down in Little Rock, a good friend of mine, Devin Norris, he's going to be at the event this weekend too. I mean, so many amazing friends in this this gaming industry. But anyway, um, I've spent time with him a number of times. So I got a hold of him and said, "Hey man, how would I come down? You interview me in your studio. I want the footage for my channel. I'm just, I'm waiting for it to get edited. I should have it soon." But anyway, I said, "We'll do that." And in exchange for that, like while I'm there, we will do as much corporal content as you want. And that he can have for his channel, like it's kind of a win-win. Yeah. So I, I stayed at his place with his family for three days, and then we got together with a guy who has another YouTube channel and an even better recording studio. That was one of the things I felt that they that Devin had a better studio than me. Yeah. Be a better quality production, and yeah. So I spent three days down there to make those videos, and those will, those will, uh, those will come out soon. They'll be evergreen. They'll be out there forever. So yeah. Ooh, look at you. The statement's evergreen. I never knew what any of that stuff meant until recently. I've been diving down into that a little bit just to modernize myself with things and what, what, you know, marketing is like in 2024, as opposed to 2006 when I started real estate. Yeah. I thought I was pretty cool back then. People were like, Andrew, I see you everywhere. Oh yeah. I have my ad in the newspaper. That's great. You saw that. Now nobody reads a paper. I get one thrown at the end of my driveway every every week and it just goes straight. It's actually perfect because it's right by the same day recycling day is. So it just goes from the driveway to Convenient. the recycling bin. <laughs> Convenient. Yeah. I feel bad. Yeah, that, did, did I just say that out loud? Whoops. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way. Uh, the everyone's I guess it's usually only like when we have the maple syrup festival here. There's times that the local paper has approached me like, do you want to put an ad in the paper? I'm like, no. Because it'll land at the end of somebody's driveway and go in their blue bin the next day. I mean, maybe a few people look at it, but the other thing is that my business really isn't local. No, it's um, so international. It is international. Yeah. And I mean, the for what it costs me to put an ad, like let's say I put an ad in the paper for a month for the same money, it's probably about what it cost me to fly down to Little Rock and stay at my friend's house and make these videos. That four or five years, YouTube's not going to be around forever. That too shall pass. But I mean, I've got. I've got videos about Crokinole that I made three years ago that are still some of my most viewed, not most total views. Yeah. Like if I look at my stats for last month, a video that I made three years ago will be one of the most viewed videos on our channel in the past month. Yeah. Crokinole's most confusing rule. Um, yeah, and those things, and, but I've had some that have three views, not three. Yeah. But, and it's but funny 50. the way that the algorithms pick up stuff too, right? So, you know, I, I just knew to this stuff and I did a short, so you can take long form like this and make it into shorts. There's AI that does it for you. It's pretty, pretty cool stuff. And I just did a really quick one about fires in Burlington. And then I went away on vacation. I came back and it was like 5,000 views of that. I'm like, holy cow, people were bored over the holidays. Right. 
which is 5,000 is nothing. But when you have zero following, when you're starting from the scratch, it, it's amazing. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I had, I, I never did YouTube, but back in the day, uh, Dita and I used to do uh, some like fitness competitions, stuff like that. I, okay. I did it on a dare because I thought, well, I can do that. And someone said, well, there's a, there's a, a competition in the fall and it was like four months out. And so I'm like, all right, I'll do it just to prove you wrong. And uh, I ended up somebody, I think it was maybe my wife or a friend took video of that on a really old cell phone. It's grainy as hell. And I'm like, all right, I'll throw that up on YouTube, this YouTube thing. Right. And I look back maybe six months later, it had 56,000 views. <laughs> like, wow, it was complete crap, but um, it's been taken down since because it has in the background, there's music for the competitors and it, yep. whatever that's called. Uh, you can't have that. Um, Copyright. Yep. I think one of them's still up there. It doesn't have as many views as that, but it's like, why, what are people watching that? They're going to watch a grainy video like that. You know what I mean? Yet, I know. you know, there's some great content out there, you know, like this podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I hope your AI can 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 carve out the like the really poignant the gold that maybe maybe was buried maybe was buried in amongst this conversation. Maybe you can put those snippets up there. You never know. But uh, yeah, and that's something I, I certainly don't understand, and I haven't tried to understand. Garrett, our middle son, looks after our social media. He came to me a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, "I want to try something new with the way I post our reels." And I'm like, "Cool. I don't need to under I don't need to know. Yeah. I trust your judgment." Yeah. And he posted a he posted a video from the Ontario Doubles. It might be the one that Buddy was complaining about Jason moving his chair. But anyway, um, Garrett comes back to me a few days later, and he's like, "That Instagram reel has over half a million views." It's insane, and in the yeah. past two days, we've gained eight hundred followers what? on Instagram. And I'm like, "Okay, whatever you did, keep doing it. Keep doing it." Yeah. And he goes, "I'm trying to figure out what I did. Like he's trying to figure out why it caught." Yeah, well, that's just it. How like some people know, like there are professionals out there that know how to do this, right? Yeah, I like to figure it out, man, because it's just strange how some things go viral, we'll say, and some things that are beautiful content, nobody yeah. watches, right? Yeah. I, I I think there's something to be said against trying to like if everything you're producing, you're just trying like, oh, I want this one thing that's going to go viral, that it may not. I don't know. I don't know whether that serves you or not. Like, yeah, there's a certain a yeah. realness to it as well. People can sense what's fake and what's not. What's meant to just get views versus this is legitimate content, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure there's probably in this podcast today there's probably some clips where we're laughing or something like that. Well, people can identify with laughter, right? And they'll watch <laughs> laughter even though they have no idea what it's about. They'll watch it over and over again, right? And who knows, yeah. this clip right here might be the one that yeah. goes viral because we're just laughing stupidly, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, speak for yourself on that one, Andrew. Now, come on. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. So uh, in all things, we all have to make money. So yeah. tell us where we can get your boards. Yeah. Uh, um, say it verbally because some people will be listening to this. And yes. I'll, I'll, I will put a graphic on here with, with your website and things like that. But how can people get a hold of your boards? Um, feel free to tell us how much they cost, if you want to, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, our website to, to order directly from us is tracyboards.com. T-R-A-C-E-Y-B-O-A-R-D-S.com. And... Uh, Quite honestly, I'll, I'll be very open, honest, and vulnerable. Uh, maybe not vulnerable, but uh, there, there are people out there who buy from us and resell. Um, obviously, that's not bad for my business or I wouldn't do it. But my highest choice, what is best for us is when people buy direct. We have a, we have a reseller that buys from us and then they sell them on Amazon. And like, basically, when people go to them, there's, there's two people in between the family that built them and the customer. And I, I love the, the, it's more Nolan that looks after our email correspondence now, but I just love the, the relationships that we build when we are working directly with the end customer. And it's, it is better for our business when people come directly to us. So 
yeah, if it works, that would be awesome. And I mean, we have the boards, we have accessories, we have, we have accessories you've probably never even thought of. Mm. And uh, as far as the price of our boards go, we have two different levels. Our, our Tracy tour board, which comes with plain gutter, red gutter, or black gutter. So that would be a red one there. That one, although it looks black is actually <clears throat> take a little tangent here. That one right there. The reason these are on my wall, that is the first coconut board I ever made. Really? Yes. That one is one of the last coconut boards that Willard ever made. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Uh, when, when Willard got down to his last few, he made them for his grandkids and whatnot as he was winding down. And I knew he only had a few left. And I'm like, all right, my, I don't name your price because that, I mean, that, that's a piece of my history, at least, that's there. My first ever, not his very last ever, but one of his, like, probably one of the last five or ten that he had. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's a green gutter, but we have red, black, and just natural gutter. Those ones are $3.95 Canadian, and that comes automatically with your choice of two colors of buttons, playing wax, rule book, button baggie. Uh, the other one we have, it is called a gray rock. Um, it is made the exact same way. It will play the exact same way. It is $25 more because we have a stain applied to the playing surface and the rail that costs more in our production. So, but it is, we have tried other stains that look really nice, but they negatively impact the speed of the board. So we won't make it, we won't sell it. So the gray rock is one, the chemical makeup of the gray rock has zero impact on the playability. So all you, you don't need to look, oh, which one do I want? Which one do you like the look of? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all you have to decide. And then I think we've got 10 or 11 button colors now to choose from and, uh, yeah, but the way we look at it, the, the board the board package includes everything you need in order to play. We have accessories, like if you want to hang it on the wall, we've got a, the wall hanging mount. Um, there's something called 20 holders. They're tubes that sit on the rail. So if you start dropping 20s, it's just really nice to have a convenient place to store yeah, those. True. And you and I are playing, and I can quickly look and go, Andrew's got four 20s. I've only got three. got to come back in this round. Um, yeah, and we have a bunch of different accessories like that. Awesome. And one other thing too, and I'm going to share this with you guys. I haven't actually done it yet, but it's in the works. You yep. can brand your board, right? So from yes. a business perspective, you know, being a realtor, I feel like this would be a good closing gift for certain families because guess what? They're going to play this together. They're going to get a good feeling together. You know, that feeling is going to be related to you because your name and logo are on that and you yep. gave it to them for their very first house. Yeah. Now, um, for a couple of reasons, I am a big fan of a little bit more subtle customization. So something that goes on the edge between the edge and the planks and the and the shooting line, mm -hmm. it's still there. But I mean, if you take your if you take your DNA emblem and make it the entirety of the board, no. It's just, yeah, I, I feel like uh, just just subtle, the same as our logo is on the edge of our board. It's just a subtle logo on there. Um, I mean, people, I have ones where people take their logo and it is the entirety of the board. That makes more sense to me if it is, if it is the owner, who the person who owns that logo. Um, you know what I mean? Like for them, that they want that big and bright and, you know. Um, anyway, the, the other thing is that it, it's more affordable if you're just having something small, small along the edge, but, uh, yeah, those, uh, they cost a little more because of the customization, they take a little bit of time. Uh, I tell people six weeks turnaround, we hope to do better, but there are times that a custom board is almost done and something goes sideways and I got to start over. Yeah. So we like to try to give ourselves some buffer in there, but yeah, that's absolutely something we'd be open to, open to talking about. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Jeremy. I really appreciate your time. It's been fun as always. And when you get back from your trip, I will hopefully get on your card for disc golf and beat you. Oh, did I say that? Well, too? I mean, Shoot. It's, it's good to, it's good to dream big, Andrew. It is good to dream big. This is and my I, goal. I think that, I think that, uh, I mean, I, like I said earlier, I really appreciate the organizers of disc golf and I'd hate to put any undue strain on them. But I think we could probably finagle something and make it happen that you and I are on the same card. So on the day that you're feeling good, you're feeling strong, and it's your day, then uh, then you just you just pick your spot. You come to somebody on my card, ask them to trade, and we'll go head to head. And uh, but it will be a duathlon because after that we'll go sit down and play croquenol. Perfect. 
And you have no idea how I play Krokel either, so that could be fun. <laughs> and actually, I don't know how I play either. <laughs> awesome. Very good. There's, right. a, there's a skills tip series on my website. Go watch that. I'm going to watch them uh, from now for the next two weeks until you get back, and then I'll be a pro. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. awesome, man. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great to, to chat. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing which snippet AI grabs. And uh, yeah, this comes out. We'll pump it up. We'll build your viewership and uh, onward and upward. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Appreciate your time. Thank you.